Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lens, Historians in Popular Media. I'm your host, Emma. And I'm Craig. And today we have with us Dr. Gabe Moss, recent PhD from UNC's History Department. Hi, Gabe. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Great. So what are we here to talk about today? Can you give us a brief overview? The piece of popular media I wanted to talk about today uh, is, in terms of its scope, the largest topic we've done on this show. That is um, Sid Meier's Civilization video game franchise. These are a series of games. There's six of them uh, that came out between 1991 and 2016, in which the player controls, for lack of a better word, and and we'll get into this term, a civilization, a sort of a a, a societal and cultural unit um, that the player guides through over 5,000 years of history from the settlement of its first city, uh, from the sort of Neolithic revolution, all the way up until the nuclear age, the information age, the space race. So, Gabe, what do we learn about history from this game? I think there's a lot of directions we can take that question because it is such a large game. Um, it, really, all of human history, so it so it might claim, is in there. Um, I think one of the big takeaways uh, from the Civilization franchise, and this has been talked about in articles that will that will link uh, with the episode uh, by Gabriel Suarez and by Kanishk Sarur, one of the big takeaways is that civilization and its history is fundamentally a story of progress, that history moves in one direction from less complicated societies, as the game defines them, to more complicated or more advanced societies, and that along with this process of progress of of human development, um, there is a real sense in civilization that human history is a a combative or or an antagonistic affair. It is a competition between discrete, quote-unquote, civilizations that have always existed and will always exist, um, and they compete for limited resources, for limited space. In a meaningful sense, they're all trying to win history. So if if that's what the game kind of posits, this idea that history is about competing civilizations who try to dominate each other, then how is it a useful teaching tool or is it? I think there are ways in which this is a, a useful teaching tool if for nothing else besides vocabulary building. Um, Sid Meier has, has pointed out the educational uses of this game. Sid Meier, the, the sort of original developer of the Civilization franchise. You will, in the course of playing this game, meet a lot of historical characters. Um, the game comes, in fact, every edition of the game has come with a relatively rich, what's called the Civilopedia, a, a sort of educational resource to the actual history, so it says, of the technologies and the peoples and the units, you could say, in the game. Um, so in that sense, there's a lot to learn. I think 
for people who study all sorts of history, whether it's world history, whether it's the history of imperialism and, and colonialism, I think there are some reasons to be a little concerned about the messaging in this game. Civilization is arguably one of the most popular historically based franchises in the history of video games. This is a franchise that has sold some 33 million units. Um, one, one source estimates that 1 billion man hours have been spent playing civilization since 1991. Um, this, is a, this is a real contributor to public knowledge and public discourse about world history. Um, and I think there are some shortcomings in how it portrays that. I think one of the most important comes from the very title of the game, civilization. What is a civilization? And this is a term that history teachers, I think, for good reason, have moved away from somewhat in the last 10, 20 years. Because the way civilization, the game, defines civilization, the concept, is relatively limited. Um, a civilization, according to this game, is by default urban. This is a game that centers on cities as places of production, as, as places of culture. If you don't have cities, you're not a civilization. Um, and while that may fit the Latin roots of the word, that's that's a problem problematic definition by modern standards. I think another big problem the civilization game has is that not every person or person group who appears in this game qualifies as a member of a civilization. So can you expand on that last thing you said about who can and cannot be included? Sure. So a feature of the Civilization game since really the very beginning of the franchise is what is called barbarians. Um, and, and I hope you can hear the scare quotes as I say that. These are... I suppose you could call them random forces of chaos that exist in this world. Um, they in various iterations of the game will pop up out of these supposedly uninhabited villages lying around the game map. In other iterations of the game, they simply appear on the edge of civilized, urbanized space. And um, scholars like Christopher Douglas have talked about and thought about what the presence of the barbarians means for things like indigenous studies and Native American studies, because it's not a hard leap to read some really troubling um, colonial ideology into this idea that in the world there are civilizations urbanized which produce culture and produce technology and are destined to progress and there are also people who are fundamentally by the very nature of the game rules uncivilized they don't generate culture they don't generate technologies they don't improve the landscape and that's a key part of civilization's game mechanics improving the landscape with farms and, and mines and things like that they simply 
exist on the land as this chaotic opponent to civilization that um, must be tamed if civilization is to th- is to flourish. You've used the phrase improvement a couple of times. How how does the game? discuss improvement and progress how does it um, define what progress means progress in civilization the game is is really tied in with i suppose you could say productivity it's about building more things faster and cheaper um and and in that sense uh there is there is something very late 20th century american in the in the mindset of this game you as the player can adjust the landscape literally transform the map on which the game is taking place with what the game calls improvements some of these are things like farms or roads or or mines um later later editions of the game have things like lumber mills they have things like plantations Within your cities, the center of of sort of this game's vision of civilization, you spend a lot of time building a whole variety of civic buildings that make your civilization better at producing the machinery of war or better at uh, producing commerce and wealth um, or simply better at producing other buildings that make it better at producing other buildings. Um, But progress for this game is always pretty much defined in in terms of productivity and in terms of growth. So how does the game civilization's conception of progress compare to some of the historiography in your field related to similar ideas? That's a really interesting question. I'm I'm a Roman historian by training. Um and one of the major debates in Roman history since, you know, the 70s and 80s has been you know, what is the nature of the economy in the ancient world? Is this essentially a scaled back version of of capitalism or are there other things going on here? I think one way in which the civilization franchise arguably misrepresents especially its its ancient and and pre-modern material um though though even much of its modern material as well is in its unspoken assumption um that capitalism as understood around the year 1991 is the defining economic political and cultural paradigm for the world that growth is growth um and that the only way civilizations, whatever their whatever label you give to them, whether it's the Iroquois, whether it's China, whether it's Mongolia, whether it's France, that all of them fundamentally share this same set of assumptions about what progress means, what winning the game of history means, and share that idea over essentially unchanged over the course of five thousand years. And I guess that's interesting to even think of the idea of history as a progress narrative, right? Where that history is always making steps forward, that history never goes, you know, that we can even talk about it in terms of forward and backward movement. Um, 
there implies a kind of sense of someone is in control, right? I think you're right. And I think in some ways that sense of control is the most appealing element of this game for a lot of its many, many players. Civilization, the franchise, will sell you the narrative that there is a logic and an order to human history, that someone is running these civilizations. In the game, you play as a named individual. If you are running American civilization, then from 3000 BCE to the present day, you are this sort of timeless Abraham Lincoln or George Washington in some versions, who guides in a in a strange semi-divine fashion, who guides his people forward through the ages. And I think the idea that no matter no matter how weird and and unfortunate history may get for some of its participants the idea that someone or some ones are in control is is really a reassuring one to people playing this game because the alternative um is that history is just a bunch of stuff happening more or less randomly in different places and at different times and that i think is almost worse to players of civilization than the idea that they might lose the game. So you've spoken about control, winning, and losing the game. Let's actually talk about the game, because I don't know about you, Craig. I've only watched people play Civilization. I've never played myself. So how does the game work? So Civilization is what's called a turn-based strategy game. Every round of the game, and there are, depending on the edition, roughly 500 rounds that take you from 3,000 to 2,000 CE. Um, every round you will make as the player a number of choices about your civilization. You will choose what to build in each of your cities. You will choose where to move your units, essentially your armies, on this map of the world. You will choose whether uh, to go to war or to make peace or to trade with, with rival civilizations. Um, you, will, you will adjust your diplomatic standing in the world. You will choose what technology as a civilization to research. At the end of those 500 turns, or, or often well before, your civilization um, has the opportunity to win, literally, to win history. There's a number of ways to do this. Um, in the original Civilization game, the goal was simply, in Civilization 1, the goal was simply to conquer every other city in the world or to survive until the end of the game unconquered. That was an achievement in and of itself. In later editions, they added some other ways uh, to win, um, whether that was through uh, sort of spectacular scientific progress, whether that was through extending your culture to the level of cultural hegemony over the world, which I hope we can talk more about because that's, that's an interesting twist in the historical context. Um, whether in in the recent versions of the game you can win you can win a religious victory you can convert enough uh, cities of other civilizations to your faith 
Um, so throughout this game, turn by turn, players are tasked with making these decisions, um, and and it is famous among um, among players of civilization. What's called the one more turn trap, um, where it's two thirty in the morning and you have a test tomorrow, uh, but you'll just play one more turn. Just one, and then and then you'll be done. Um, I should say, as as much trouble as I'm giving Sid Meier in this interview, um, I grew up loving these games, uh, and and I am still a great fan of this series as a player. Um, I think as a historian, there's there's more meat to these than I initially saw. So you you mentioned that you can kind of win by converting people to your religion or having certain technologies. Do you as the player have any control over what those technologies look like or what that religion looks like? Or are you picking from pre-established templates? In terms of technology, you are picking from pre-established templates. And this is um, what Gabriel Suarez really points out about this game uh, in that article I'm going to link, is that the technology tree for civilization is uniform um, and always, always, always culminates with what we could call, to use a problematic term, the modern West or the modern industrialized technocratic world. You win if you're going to win a scientific victory. You are going to develop nuclear power. You are going to develop the internet. Uh, you are going to develop techniques of international capitalism. All three of those are technologies that that in the world as it actually exists, there are people who argue they should not exist. That those were bad roads to go down. The technology tree in civilization does not really take up that question. Um, and it doesn't really take up the question of whether history and, and in particular, the history of technology could have turned out any differently. In terms of religion, you do have, and I'm thinking of Civilization VI, the most recent edition here, you do have some options in terms of how you can customize your religion. Um, you know, you do not have to pick one of the major historical religions to be the religion of your state. Um, you are still picking from a a set of religious features. You don't have unlimited choice. Um, but I would say that that mechanic, um, interestingly, because it, it's a newer addition to the franchise, that mechanic is rather more flexible. So you mentioned that the game deals with culture in interesting ways. Could you possibly expand on that? Of course. Um, so culture as a mechanic is introduced in, I'm trying to remember, it's either a Civilization 3 or Civilization 4. Uh, so early 2000s, the culture mechanic enters the game. And initially, uh, and, and to an extent still, culture serves a political purpose in the Civilization franchise. Initially. Culture, your culture score serves to expand the borders around your city. And remember, this is a very urban centric game to expand those borders out into the hinterland. So if you have a large culture um, or, or a powerful culture, your city's borders might extend six grid squares away instead of four or instead of three. 
there is with with the culture mechanic there is a conception of i guess you could call it soft power um the idea that civilizations by not even necessarily by persuasion, but by cultural co-option and, and cultural conversion could homogenize the world enough um, that that they would be the only remaining um, civilization left in the field. Um, and interestingly, this is a very early 2000s idea of what culture is. This, I think, reflects an idea that Maybe in in this brave new world, we don't need to fight wars anymore. The power of symbols and the power of consumerism, if nothing else, can make everyone else like us to the point that they won't want to fight us. So peace and harmony through commerce. Peace and harmony through, through commerce and capitalism. And the scary thing is that this is actually movement in a positive direction for the civilization franchise. Because what civilization started out as, and to a large extent still is, is what's called a 4X game. And the four X's in question, EX, not just the letter, are explore, expand, exploit, exterminate. Um, this was originally a game that put players in the driver's seat of absolutely brutal military imperialism um, and stripped away all moral and ethical dimensions of that of that phenomenon. So if consumerism and capitalism and commercialism are seen as as positives, are you saying that the game doesn't talk about any potential consequences of this kind of technological capitalist end goal? There are some interesting moments of flirtation in this series with the idea of environmentalism and environmental consequences for the progress I was talking about before. And and Sid Meier and, and the development team deserve credit for that. In the early editions of the game, and I believe in, in some of the DLC, the downloadable content for Civ Six. Um, global warming is a meaningful factor. And as you industrialize, as you base your more and more of your economic and military activity on fossil fuels and ultimately on nuclear power, um, pollution will begin to enter the game. Temperature rises and and terrain change and sea levels all enter the game. Um, so there there is that aspect. I'm not sure whether that is is front and center enough um, to to really counter the the growth and progress narrative. However, so the the game first came out in 1991, correct? That is correct. So. How many of these ideas of uh, progress and civilization that are in the game are indicative of the period in which it was released? I think a lot of the features that you see in civilization, the basic ideology and worldview that this game expresses, come necessarily out of its historical context. Um, Sid Meier has long 
insisted that there is not a political philosophy baked into civilization. Uh, he has long insisted that he wrote this game to be as fun as possible, um, that his historical research by his own admission was minimal uh, and confined largely to the children's section of the local library. Um, and, and he wanted to give the player a fun, apolitical romp through human history. I would question, um, and I think a lot of people would question, whether such a thing would be possible. Some of the, the basic assumptions of this game, the assumption that history moves forward to an ultimate victor, um, really, I think, spring from that moment right around 1989, 1990, 1991, where the United States and the quote-unquote Western world defeat communism. The USSR falls, and there's this period, uh, probably, probably best captured by Francis Fukuyama, um, when he calls it the end of history. What happens next? Have we have we finally solved five thousand years of of internecine squabbling and fighting and intercivilizational violence with this triumph of the United States? Um, I think had this video game been made in say two thousand and three. Uh, the perspective would have been very different. Had it been made in 2020, the perspective would have been entirely different. Um, I think baked into the assumptions of, of civilization as a game is a fundamental optimism, an idea that history will move forward and that in the end, someone, um, and let's face it, if you're good enough, it's probably you, is going to win. That's interesting that you mentioned that the creators of the game tried to make it apolitical, um, or at least as much as they could. Has that survived in in the most recent iterations of the game? I would say to a to a remarkable extent for a game that has been in more or less continuous development for now almost thirty years. Um, the the politics, or as they would put it, the lack thereof in this game, have remained remarkably stable. Civilization has added elements. It's added mechanics about religion and faith. It's added a stress on culture and as, as a constituent part of what it means to be a civilization. What it has maintained that I would say that entire time as a as a function of the genre is the idea of civilizational antagonism the uh, the idea that Samuel Huntington uh, for the first time actually in a lecture in nineteen ninety two called the Clash of Civilizations. Religion does not exist in and of itself in this in this game world. It does not exist to however you want to put it, to nourish the soul. It exists to increase the capacity of the civilization to exert power and control over other civilizations. The game isn't, the religion mechanic isn't about religion. It's about conversion. Similarly, the cultural mechanic is not about art for art's sake or or the triumph of the human spirit to, to create these works of art or literature or, as has long been a feature of the game, these wonders of the world. 
the pyramids and, and the Great Wall do not exist in and of themselves as a testament to the cultures that built them. They exist because if you build the Great Wall, you now get a city wall around every one of your cities, and it's harder to break into them. Uh, if you build the pyramids, you get you get various other bonuses as well. It's all conflictual and antagonistic and ultimately mechanical. So given all that you've mentioned about some of the game's flaws and some of its interesting features, if you were consulted as a historian, if you were consulted by the producers of this game, uh, if they were they were coming to you, Gabe Moss, for Civilization Seven, what are the features that you would want to add and what are the things that you think need to be taken away from this game? I think the biggest things I would add to the Civilization franchise, where I consulted for Civ 7, and, and I must say that is an unlikely scenario, I think the biggest thing these games need is fundamentally more complexity and more contingency. And that may seem counterintuitive for a game. You know, how can you ask for it to be more complex? It covers all of human history. How can you ask for it to be to have more historical contingency in it? The Aztecs can conquer the Spanish. Um, the Iroquois can conquer the world. I think what this game needs to do if it's going to capture something real about human history is really challenge its title. Um, I think Civ 7, were it up to me, needs to think about what it means to be a civilization. Um, and I think that means dealing with the barbarian mechanics. Um, I think it means recognizing that what this game has traditionally seen as civilization, which is literate, which is urban, um, which is elite, is in fact the life and lifestyle of a remarkably vanishingly small proportion of the world's people. I don't know how much fun that game would be to play for people who are not me and three of my friends. But I think given that this is a game that sold 33 million copies, given that a billion man hours have been spent playing Civilization, given that among a lot of people there is the belief that playing Civilization is in some sense a historical experience, I think it's worth thinking about and talking about how to bring that historical experience more into line um, with with historical scholarship, but also with with some flat and often unpleasant historical realities. Well, thank you so much, Gabe. Um, I certainly learned a lot and can't necessarily say that I'm going to go out and go buy this game, but I certainly am going to take a much more discerning eye when I watch uh, my friends play it. So thank you. It's a pleasure to be here again. Thanks for having me. And thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more episodes of The Lens, where Gabe, Craig, and I will be talking to other members of the UNC History Department, both recently graduated and current, on a bunch of really interesting topics. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.